everybody. This is episode six of the UFC Cage Talk podcast, the number one UFC-related podcast in FHN. Mm-hmm. Now, I ended off episode five with a little, I guess you could call it a cliffhanger. I talked about how the uh, the UFC announced UFC 300 main event, which was Jamal Hill versus Alex Pereira. And they also announced some other fights since we last talked about the card. So I just wanted to go over some of these fights and maybe give some picks and predictions. So let's just see how it goes. UFC 300 announcements, Jamal Hill versus Alex Pereira. This is the main event prediction. First things first, the UFC, directly after UFC 298, announced the main event for UFC 300. In a selfie video, it looked like it was rushed, I'm not going to lie, when Dana White announced it. Alex Pereira versus Jamal Hill was announced. You know this, along with the whole card, isn't really bad. It was a random number. If, it, if this was a random numbered event, I'd be up here talking some, this is the best card of the year. This is incredibly stacked. I think it's got, like, what, 11 champions or something of, like, the 24 fighters on the card, former champs and champs like that. Great card. Three title fights if you include the BMF belt between Gaethje and Holloway. This is going to be a great card, but it's not really UFC 300 material if you ask a lot of fans. This is UFC 300, an event divided by 100 evenly can only come every, like, what, seven years or so? And even worse, it's so obvious that this was supposed to be the main event for UFC 300 in Brazil because Alex is not only one of the biggest Brazilian stars in MMA, but also one of the biggest stars in the sport, period. And it would have been such a waste if they didn't put this on 300, but I don't know. I, I mean, I like this fight. It's a great headliner, you know, 300 main material, I don't know, but it's a great fight, great action. It just was so obvious this was meant to be UFC 300 that's taking place in, uh, 301, sorry, that's taking place in Brazil. Honestly, I don't know what they're going to put as a main event in that card. I guess we'll find out. Either way, I feel like I'm going to be disappointed with how, I'm going to be disappointed later in the year with how stacked the beginning of this year has been. I mean, 299 is one of my most anticipated cards in very recent memory. It's such a good card, top to bottom. Peter Yan versus Song Yudong is open in the main event. That is a co-main of, no, not co-main, featured fight on a pay-per-view like any other day. But this is, I mean, they just stacked 299 and now 300 struggling. So I I get it. But for my prediction, I got Alex Pereira by, let's say, round three KO. This is a close fight, and it deserves to be on 300, I guess. I wouldn't really say the main event, but it deserves to be on 300. So my prediction could very well change, but I don't know. It's a very close fight. It's just when Dana announced it, it... Really, I feel like the problem is that he hyped up this fight. He was talking about making documentaries about what's going on in the scene. He was talking about, like, this is going to break the internet. It doesn't... He was talking about, like, that that oh-my-God factor, that aspect, you know, that X factor that everyone just expected. Everyone... He was hyping up the card so much, people, I don't think, wouldn't have even been that excited if Khabib came back. He, like, hyped it up. Like, Khabib versus Connor too, was, like, the main event. And that would have, like... And that was, like, the only thing that would have hyped anyone up. But, I mean... I don't know. It's a great fight regardless of what Dana White says. I mean, he just got everyone's hopes up way too high. Given the UFC's options, though, it was free 300 main event this, Alex versus someone else, or an Leon Edwards title defense. And no one wants to see Alex lose to, let's say, Ankalaev, which is like the only other fight you could viably make besides Tom Aspinall, who's a heavyweight, and I don't want to see that either. So this is really the only winnable fight for Alex, and nobody wants to see Alex lose... So this was best case scenario, especially since Alex is like very entertaining, very like one of the most technical, entertaining strikers there is 
unlike the snooze fest that is Leon, uh, that is a Leon Edwards fight. And yes, I'm saying Leon Edwards is boring. I know there's a lot of Leon Edwards stands out there, but he is very overrated. That Kamaru Usman head kick, that's his only he- KO win in like what, 10 fights or something? He's I I would actually argue this is a very hot take. I would argue Bilal Muhammad is more deserving than Leon Edwards was before he got the title and He's more exciting than Leon Edwards. Bilal Muhammad actually like throws volume. Leon Edwards just picks out from the outside like an out, like a Israel Adesanya or Ian Gary, and that's not fun to watch. But anyway, I think Alex is going to chop Hill down with those beautiful leg kicks and then go upstairs for a TKO or KO win late in the third. But I mean, to be fair, if you're getting uh, KO'd by pillow hands Adesanya like Alex was, Hill getting hit by Hill is going to KO you so much worse. So although I'm saying Alex. Don't rule out Hill by, like, some highlight real KO. All right, next fight on the card. This is actually opening up the card, but this is one of my most anticipated fights on the card. Figueredo, Davison Figueredo versus Cody Garbrandt. <sighs> Why? Why would you do this, Cody Garbrandt? You're on a two-fight win streak, finally looking good after one of the worst losing streaks in recent memory, and you decide out and you decide to call out the heaviest-handed, I will give it to you, flyweight, but he just moved up and dominated Rob Font, a guy you lost to, by the way. Rob Font dominated Figueredo. Figueredo dominated Rob Font. And I know MMA math, MMA math doesn't really work like that, and Garbrandt could win, but it's just it's why? Why would you do this? It's not smart. You're you're outside the rankings. I don't even know why Davidson would accept this fight. You're outside the rankings. Davidson's like, what, number nine, number eight? Something high up there. I mean, you know, I like Cody. He's fast. He's very powerful. Very good boxing. In his last fight, he looked like prime Cody, just without the defense, which seems to be a trend with him. Bad defense. And it's not even one of those fights where I think, oh, okay, if X fighter can stay on the outside and avoid the power, they can win. No, I think Figgy is just as good, if not better, in the stand-up with his well-roundedness on the feet. He has power for days and is a real real problem for Garbrandt, who has consistently and constantly been chinny throughout all of his fights. Yeah, I just, I don't see any redeeming qualities for Cody in this fight. It's not even like he can wrestle Figgy, because Figgy's got some of the greatest jiu-jitsu, or slickest jiu-jitsu in the game, especially a bantamweight at least. And the fact that, by the way, this is opening the card on the prelims, I just want to say, when Andrade, when Jessica Andrade versus Marina Rodriguez is right there, is low-key an insult to both of these fighters. I mean, Figueredo versus Garbrandt is such a banger fight. It's definitely going to end in a knockout. Cody Garbrandt's going to get chinned, but it's definitely going to end in a knockout. It's definitely going to be an entertaining fight. So even though that's opening the card, and, you know, I usually don't have time to look at the early prelims, or I just don't because I'm lazy, <laughs> this, I'm going to have, I'm definitely going to see the full 13 or 12 or 11 fights on this card just so I can see every single fight. Because regardless of what I say about them, remember that overall for a general card, this is a good card. This is, these are all great fights. These could all headline fight nights. These could all be featured fights on uh, pay-per-views. Sorry, I had to burp there. <laughs> all right, next fight on the card. Holly Holm versus Kayla Harrison. This is going to be boring. <laughs> the best women's fighter, arguably outside the UFC. I know she just wa- lost recently in the PFL, a separate organization. But here, but just, you know, follow with me. Kayla Harrison has finally signed to UFC, UFC. And she is fighting a 42-year-old washed contender who just lost to Maru Silva, who, to be fair, was juiced, but who just lost to a f- uh, surging Maru Silva, who just lost to the title by round two submission. 
man, what a what a great test for the 33 year old two time judo Olympic gold champion. Uh, gold winner, sorry, Kayla Harrison. This is such a wash of a fight. Harrison by domination, and it's so clear to me. It's so clear this is only being made just because casual fans know who Holm is. So when Harrison beats her using her judo, the casual fans will go, ah, she's the second coming of, of Ronda Rousey, but better. She can actually do this and that and the other, and she actually beat Holly Holm like Ronda Rousey couldn't. I swear to God, I swear to God, if I see one thing... That's comparing Kayla Harrison to Ronda Rousey. They are not the same. These are two different generations of Holly Holm. Ronda Rousey in her prime would beat the Holly Holm of today easily, just like Kayla Harrison is going to. <sighs> Which is true, but it's still annoying that people are going to bring up Ronda Rousey. Harrison is going to get a title shot after this, and she probably is going to be dominant for a while. I mean, look at the top of the division and tell me she doesn't steamroll everybody. Her only... Uh, chance of someone beating her as I guess Raquel Pennington just because Raquel Pennington has the toughness and stamina to last to the later rounds and maybe capitalize on some spotty Harrison uh, stamina but I've never seen Harrison gas out so I don't in the uh, PFL I mean so I've never I don't know I mean I don't see anyone on Harrison's level at 135 I think yeah 135 that can stand to Harrison this division is just so lackluster and uh Hopefully we have time to talk about it later, but we have some other fights. Uh, Sadiq Yusuf versus Diego Lopez was also made for this card. I am very excited for this fight. Lopez is wild and fun and a rising star about to get into the top 15, especially if he beats Yusuf. And what's interesting is Yusuf at some point was in the exact position uh, Diego Lopez was in. He was a rising, promising contender before you know Allen and Barboza got to him. And honestly, I think this trend of the old having recently defended the young like Justin Gaethje to Rafael Fiziev, like Dustin Poirier to I'm assuming like Dustin Poirier to hopefully Benoit Saint Denis because I think Dustin Poirier might beat Benoit Saint Denis. Watch, I think it was episode three. If you want to see my prediction for that, very good episode, very good picks too. By the way, I made some very good picks in that, or maybe it was episode four. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. Anyway, the trend of old defeating the young is going to continue in this fight, I think. Lopez is so wild for someone as heavy-handed and as great as boxing as Yusuf is. I mean, you got you to gotta clean that up a little bit if you're Lopez. And if Lopez can get it to the ground, he could absolutely sub Yusuf, like I think Arnold Allen did. I'm pretty sure Arnold Allen sub Yusuf. But if Lopez can get it to the ground, he, Lopez has a very good jiu-jitsu. He could very much... Uh, get the submission here, but Yusuf, uh, Lopez is so wild on the feet, and I haven't seen him hit too many great takedowns, so I think Yusuf is going to really piece him up on the feet, maybe a round two KO or something like that, or late stoppage, 30-27. I know I just said three different things, but it could really go any other way with how Lopez is so wild. He could get knocked out in the first round, but I believe in his chin. Hopefully Lopez wins this. I really like his haircut. <laughs> um, Jessica Antraj versus Marina Rodriguez. Despite what I've said about this fight and what you've probably seen about this fight, this is definitely one of the most exciting and entertaining fights you can put on in WMMA. Andrade and Rodriguez both do best when they're moving forward, throwing shots, or either getting knocked out or getting the knockout. But still, I got Rodriguez by decision, though. I know that it's counterproductive, but I don't see either women taking a step back. And if one does, it's going to be the much longer and rangier Rodriguez. I see Rodriguez getting clipped a couple of times, maybe staying on uh, in the fight, 
to hurt Andrade later on from a distance to secure a 29-28 decision. I could see it being very bloody like her, uh, like Marina Rodriguez's fight against, I believe it was Michelle Watterson. That was also a really good fight, by the way. You should watch that. WMMA, man, I mean, except for, I would really say, 135, 135 pounds, they're doing very good. Zhang Wei Li at the top is one of the, uh, of the 120, of the 115-pound division, sorry, is one of the most exciting champions. Um, and Alex Gra- Alexa Grasso is probably going to fight the winner of Fiora versus uh, Blanchfield. And that's going to be a very interesting fight, regardless of who wins. So the w- WMMA is very is very good right now. You know, we're eating well. Next fight on the card, and the last one I wanted to talk about that I think got released was Bobby Green versus Jim Miller. <sighs> you know what? I I actually got Jim Miller, forty year old, unranked Jim Miller. I love Bobby Green. I love his attitude, his style, both in and out of the cage. But he is coming off of possibly one of the worst, most latest KO stoppages of all time against one of against a short notice. Jalen Turner, it was a really bad stoppage. I mean, that's like life-changing damage. Permanently, that kind of stuff can permanently alter how you are as a fighter and a person for the rest of your life. It was a sad sight to see, to be honest, coming from a Bobby Green fan like myself. But, I mean, man, you just, Bobby Green just has his hands so low. You can't be getting caught like that against these rising contenders. I mean, I, I don't know. Jim Miller, though, he's putting these young guys away and sending them packing despite having the most fights in the division and in the UFC. That Mo Miller, uh, that moment, sorry, not, not that Miller, <laughs> that momentum Miller got combined with Bobby's, I think, very badly hurt chin. And let's not forget, uh, probably very badly hurt chin. I mean, did you see that stoppage? Dang. And let's not forget, Miller's leg kicks are very powerful. They were shown on pr- uh, prime display against Dustin Poirier. If you can do that against Dustin Poirier, I think you can do that against Bobby Green. I got Miller by a sad, probably dominating decision with Bobby Green just not being able to get off and being slow and not just and just not trigger happy because of that KO loss. I see him, I see him being a lot slower and a lot, uh, I don't want to say scared, but he's going to be a lot slower out there and not throw as much. I just don't see Bobby turning around uh, a knockout this quickly and having success over such a well-rounded fighter, though. Both of these guys are veterans, though, so it should be a fun spectacle regardless. And Bobby's got good enough defense to where he won't get knocked out, I think. And if he does, man, I just might cry. (laughs) Uh, Recently, uh, I know I said in the last episode, I think it was, Henry Cejudo came out and said he was retired. Or, sorry, uh, he dropped his gloves or took them off like he was retired in the octagon. But Henry Cejudo has broken the silence after a week or so and said that he is not retiring and wants to move back to flyweight and fright Brandon Moreno. <sighs> Please retire permanently, Henry Cejudo. You've tainted your legacy as double champ by coming back and losing twice back-to-back to both Aljamain Sterling and Marab Devashvili, who train in the same gym. I love you, Cejudo. But you're 37 years old now in flyweight. He's gone from fighting the top of the division in flyweight and bantamweight to scrambling for interesting fights that'll get him some money. He really wasted his prime for nothing. He really retired in his prime just waiting for more money. He thought Dana White was going to come crawling back to him saying, Henry Cejudo, we need you. Please take this whatever thousand million dollar check so you'll fight for us. But Dana White didn't care. So he when. Henry Cejudo eventually came back. It really showed how cruel this sport can be. And even though Moreno looked bad against Roy Val, Moreno is still that guy at flyweight. Please don't forget, Henry Cejudo 
<sighs> please don't forget how good Moreno is. Henry Cejudo, don't hurt your body by cutting down to 130 by 125 again. Please just retire for good. He's fake retired so many times. I just can't anymore, you know? I want to talk about a little bit the fight night that was Roy Val versus Moreno. Roy Val beat Moreno by a pretty close decision. I did give it to Roy Val, though. And Yair lost to Ortega by submission, even though Yair dominated him in the first round and Ortega rolled his ankle before the fight even started. Isn't it crazy how Moreno and Yair, both Mexicans, got, I don't want to say exposed, but lost Two guys, they very sh- the two lost. They both lost to two Mexican Americans. They both beat the first time via injury. Moreno beat Royval via injury, and then Yair beat Ortega via injury in their fight too. It's just so interesting how these two fighters uh, were so similar, you know. And both of them were rematches, and both were exciting fights. And I'm so excited to see where both their divisions go next. But as of right now. I think that's a good place to end off to end off the episode. I hope everyone listening has a great day. And even if you're not listening, have a great day. This is Cage Talk. Ben Bartels is out.